0: Happy St. Paddy's Day to one and all. This is a big holiday, one of my favorites because uh, the neighborhood I grew up in had a large Irish-American population, so it was always well-celebrated, and that neighborhood's Irish-American population has only gotten bigger uh, as the years have passed, and uh, it's a very, very big tradition, Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of drinking going on. But it's all in good fun, all in good spirits, and if you go to a real traditional Irish bar, uh, people know how to hold their liquor and they don't get too rowdy. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you have not already done show, please subscribe to the show. And you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, depending on which device you use... And when you go there, you either download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service, search out The Jamie Dury Show and subscribe that way, or simply use those native podcast aggregator apps on your phone to just search out The Jamie Dury Show there and subscribe that way. Whichever way you choose to subscribe, you'll be able to leave comments, leave us reviews, and please give us a good review. We make an effort to do a a good show whenever we do one, uh, and... uh, The more remarks, reviews, comments that we get of a positive nature, uh, the faster the show will grow, the more resources we will have, and the better shows we'll be able to do for you going forward. So please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends about us as well. We would appreciate it. Okay, so I wanted to do the show today on an issue uh, that I normally don't talk about too much. Um, I try not to do many local issues. I do talk about law enforcement in general, but I try not to speak too much about local issues. I prefer instead to make the show about national or world issues. But since I am a native New Yorker, I grew up in New York, um, and it pains me to see the state of the uh, city of New York right now. It really does. But the New York City Police Department was at one time viewed as the finest law enforcement organization probably in the country, easily surpassing the FBI. In fact, when the FBI started to want to become more of a serious law enforcement organization, and they were putting together their manuals, for training in the FBI Academy, they took 85% of what they had there from the NYPD's manual or the LAPD's manual, because those were the two biggest uh, law enforcement agencies at the time. Uh, NYPD even more so because um, the big westward migration to the Sunbelt hadn't taken place yet. So the NYPD was where it was at. Now, of course, the FBI thinks they know everything Uh, and they think they can tell us how to do everything, the rest of the world. But the fact of the matter is, the FBI, as I've often remarked, stands for famous but incompetent or forever bothering Italians. But they don't know much about anything. I doubt they could find a hooker in a whorehouse. We certainly know that they don't um, do much with terrorism um, if it wasn't for the work done by counterterrorism squads and CIA getting them intelligence and military intelligence, I doubt very much, we'd have much done. I never forget how they thought it was a big joke when the flight school in Florida told them, hey, we got these 19 Arabs here, and they all want to learn how to fly a plane, but um, not just any plane, they want to learn how to fly a commercial airliner. And uh, the curious thing is, they're not interested in taking off, and they're not interested in learning how to land. All they want to do is fly it while it's in the middle of the air. And the FBI's response was, ah, just kids having fun. They dismissed it, and naturally we know what happened on September 11th. But the NYPD had a very, very strong Irish-American tradition. It was a job that a lot of Irish-Americans took when they first came over here. Back in that time, in the 1800s, there were gangs. You saw that movie, The Gangs of New York. Uh, It was not easy. To be a police officer then, was very, very difficult. And um, they wanted big, strong, strapping guys that could deal with these thugs. You didn't have the number of police officers that you have today. You didn't have the uh, mechanized transport like you had today. You did not have the communications network like you had today. So if you got involved in a scuffle or a problem... You'd better be up to the task because there weren't going to be many people coming to your aid too quickly because it just wasn't the nature of the game at that time. Now, there was one very famous police officer by the name of Alexander Williams. He actually rose to the rank of full inspector in the New York City Police Department. For those of you that don't know, inspector is a very high rank. It's two steps above captain and one step below one-star chief. It's the equivalent of a, like a full-bird colonel in the Army or a captain in the Navy. <clears throat> Most people don't know that. Captain in the Navy is a very high rank, much higher than captain in the Army. It's the equivalent of a colonel. But in the Air Force, Army and Marine Corps, colonel is a, is a big rank, and it's usually um, denoted by wearing a pair of eagles on your shoulders, okay? When you wear uh, golden oak leaves on your shoulder, you're a lieutenant. I'm sorry, you're a uh, major. One level below a lieutenant colonel, and silver oak leaf is a lieutenant colonel. And then the eagle, of course, is the colonel. In any event, this chap, Alexander Williams, uh, elevated himself all the way to inspector. And along the way he acquired a very good nickname, and that was called Clubber, Alexander Clubber Williams. Now, how did he get this name? Well, he was given a very, very tough footpost straight away in the Gaslight District. And as I said, back in those days, you had to be tough because help was not... uh, quickly summoned as it is today. You know, today a police officer gets in trouble in an urban area like New York City, at least. Uh, Things can happen pretty quickly, but generally speaking, they can get other police officers there in uh, uh, short order because there's a lot of cops working at any one time. We have mechanization, cars, motorcycles. They can get there quick and better communications. That wasn't the case then. In fact, one of the things the old-time cops used to do in New York City Since there was such a proliferation of foot patrolmen then, which is uh, something you don't see much of anymore, they would take their nightstick and tap it on the sidewalk, and another police officer in the next post might hear it. But don't forget, back then, these clicks on the sidewalk didn't have to overcome the collective noise of hundreds of cars going up and down the street, so it was a different time. So he had this post in the Gaslight District, I think on Houston Street. And he promptly picked a fight with three of the toughest guys on the post. And he proceeded to throw one or two of them through a plate glass window and beat the others senseless. And he developed respect on that post. Nobody would dare commit a crime on that post for fear of incurring the wrath of Alexander Clubber Williams. And it's interesting because the criticism that he began to receive as he moved up in ranks and extolled the virtues of these policies um, caused him to be the recipient of a lot of criticism from the public, much in the same way we see criticism today. He eventually became a captain of a precinct, and although the community council, the equivalent of the community council, uh, roundly denounced him for his tactics, he says, I'm going to prove that I'm right by the results. And he proceeded to take his solid gold pocket watch and hang it off one of the hooks on a telephone pole and said to the crowd, let's take a walk around the block. And when he came around that block, that solid gold pocket watch was still there because he had instilled such fear in the criminal element that none of them would dare take it because they feared the reprisals. And he made it all the way up to the rank of inspector, and he had a saying that was attributed to him, which was, there is more law in a policeman's nightstick than in any decision handed down by the Supreme Court. There's a lot of truth in that argument. In any event, in celebration of the tremendous contribution of Irish Americans to the police department, and particularly in the city of New York, and places like Chicago. We want to do today's show focusing mainly on that and on the New York City Police Department and how far it has fallen from those lofty days when there was a um, large strapping Irishman twirling his baton and the public, the law-abiding public, could have confidence that they were protected and the criminal element could have fear and pause, knowing that if they stepped out of line, justice, swift justice, awaited them. But look at what's going on in the New York City Police Department right now. We have all manner of nonsense. Police officers, as a result of the inhospitable climate in which they work in the city of New York, are exiting the New York City Police Department in record numbers in droves. Thousands are leaving. This year, the beginning of the year, marks the biggest exodus that we've had. And the city of New York seems to be completely oblivious to this. And I say they seem completely oblivious to it because if they were cognizant of it or really recognized it as a problem, they wouldn't be doing some of the things that they are doing. One of the things they're doing is cracking down on minor violations like uh, drinking too much coffee when on duty or uh, having their beards too long. Apparently, there is a rule now which permits beards to be worn by uniformed personnel uh, as long as it isn't longer than a quarter inch. I remember the days when uniformed cops were not allowed to wear beards of any kind. A mustache was the most, I think, that they used to be allowed to wear. Uh, And now they're allowed to wear beards, but apparently people are taking this too far. But is it really worth it to go after police officers for these types of things when you're suffering an exodus and an inability to retain quality people? Instead, here, according to this article in The Post from a few days ago, the NYPD has decided to crack down on its already thinning, overworked ranks by rooting out cops who grow their beards too long, drink coffee on the job, and don't empty their garbage cans quickly enough. What garbage cans do they have to empty? Now, this has been ordered up by the police commissioner. I'm surprised at this, because another step that the commissioner just took recently tells me she understands it's part of the problem. But why she's doing this, I don't know. Apparently, this effort is being led by a new... um, unit called the standards and assessment section of a new bureau that they created within the New York City Police Department, the Professional Standards Bureau. Quote, if somebody is noncompliant with the beard procedure, they'll look into that, said Chief Kevin Maloney, commander of DCPI, which I believe stands for Deputy Commissioner of Public Information. It's really anything the cops are supposed to adhere to. Their job is to make sure They're doing that. It's just enforcing the rules. In addition to make sure they don't grow their beards past one quarter inch, the section is tasked with investigating improprieties such as officers who keep inaccurate memo books, tint their windows too dark on their personal cars, which as far as I'm concerned is none of the police department's business, or failing to comb their hair properly. Now this unit is led by an inspector by the name of Robert O'Hare, obviously Irish, and will make sure the cops wear their body cameras and the right piece of clothing and update roll calls promptly and show up on time and don't leave their posts early. Now, there's a little bit of a contradiction here. They're worried about cops not wearing their beards too long or showing up for a detail without a hat. But the week before last the department announced they were eliminating the mile-and-a-half run for recruits, saying it wasn't particularly job-related. Nobody runs a a mile-and-a-half. No, you don't. I'm sure they don't run a a mile-and-a-half in the course of their enforcement activity. But it's still a standard to assess a necessary level of fitness Mm -hmm. because it seems to me that if you can't run a a mile-and-a-half wearing a T-shirt, and a pair of gym shorts and sneakers. How are you gonna run anywhere when you're wearing a gun belt that probably weighs about upwards of 21 pounds or close to 20 pounds, a gun that weighs several pounds, a vest, bulletproof vest that restricts your breathing, and let's say a heavy coat if it's winter. You can't run a mile and a half stripped down with shorts and a t-shirt. You're not going very far dressed with all those traditional accoutrements. And you may need to, to save your own life. So that was a very, very valid thing. That they didn't care about. They removed that. So by putting physical fitness on the back burner, we can have cops who look unprofessional, in my opinion, because they're fat slobs. I don't think anybody's going around from the... um, standards and assessment section from the professional standards bureau, giving people rips for being fat slobs. But God forbid that quarter inch beard is three eighths of an inch and you're on the carpet, buddy. You could look like a model. Otherwise you could have a six pack. You could be ready to do battle. You could be ready to run. You could be ready to fight. You could be ready to rock and roll. But if you've got that Three-eighths-inch beard, which is one-eighth of an inch over regulation. that's it. You're getting a rip, or as they describe it, a command discipline. But the fat cop, not a problem for him. So they've got their priorities upside down. When you're losing people in droves, you don't go and engage in this type of campaign at this time. All you're doing is lowering morale, and you're going to make it even more difficult to retain people And the exodus is going to increase, but it gets still better. The illustrious mayor of New York City, the former police captain, Eric Adams, underqualified, in over his head. He's now hawking an age old argument, which people have tried to foist on the New York City Police Department and other agencies within the city for years. He said it makes no sense that cops aren't required to live in New York City. Really? See, now, when a person makes an asinine statement like this, this just reveals them to be what they are, uneducated, dumb, and in over their head. Mayor Eric Adams said Monday that it, quote, makes no sense that the nearly 35,000 uniformed police officers are not required to live in the Big Apple. I want you here in this city. I want you to go to the cleaners. I want you to go to the churches, to the supermarket. Your children should be in our schools. We shouldn't have 30-something percent of officers residing out of New York City. And even at that, Mayor Adams doesn't understand the numbers because it's something more like 48% are outside the city. It's closer to 50% outside and 50% living inside the city. You see, he goes on to say there's no such thing as being off-duty. So technically, if you see a crime and you don't take action as a police officer, you could be held accountable for that. So why are we using our tax dollars to pay for an officer to be out here for eight hours and then 16 hours he's going to be, he's going to go to one of our five neighboring counties and protecting them? Well, this makes a great deal of ridiculous and stupid assumptions. One, it assumes that police officers are required to take action when they're, not working which is absolutely wrong they don't want these cops taking action today when they are working let alone taking action when they're not working all the officer is obliged to do is to report that is taking action he doesn't have to go in there with gun blazing Mm -hmm. halt police nobody's going to do that today they don't get backing when they're working on the clock they're not going to get backing when they're working off the clock the second stupid assumption is the mayor is assuming that these officers, when they live in the suburbs, are going to play cops and robbers when they're off duty in their suburban neighborhoods. Nothing could be further from the truth. They want a quiet life. They don't mind going to the dry cleaner, but they don't want their children in New York City schools because New York City schools, by and large, are not up to the mark. And they teach a lot of nonsense in New York City schools. But there's a bigger reason why cops aren't living in New York City. It's because they can't afford it. Any neighborhood worth living in or able to be lived in in New York is extremely expensive. I'll give you an example. I live in Manhattan. I live in what's considered a very, very desirable area of Midtown. If you were to buy even a one-bedroom apartment in the co-op building where I am, and a one-bedroom apartment is not big enough for a family, but it may be big enough for a cop starting out as a bachelor or a husband and wife, a one-bedroom co-op is $750,000. Now, how's a New York City cop supposed to afford a $750,000 co-op? And then he has the maintenance fees he has to pay. And then if he wants a car to go on vacation, he's got to pay 500 a month to park the car. How is he going to afford all this on a cop's salary? Well, of course, he doesn't have to live in Manhattan. Well, where does he live if he doesn't live in Manhattan? He's going to live in Queens? Still going to buy a house? Still going to be a fortune? Still stuck with New York City schools? And not every place in Queens is able to be lived in. Only certain areas of Brooklyn can be lived in. And, on, and fewer areas of the Bronx can be lived in. And they're not cheap. So the economics don't make sense for cops living in the city. However, there could be an uh, ancillary advantage to having cops live in the city that the uh, mayor is not willing to actually vocalize. That is, for all the reasons I just mentioned, you can't afford to live in the desirable areas of the city on a cop salary, which means you can't afford to live in the undesirable areas of the city. Well, who lives in the undesirable areas of the city? These are also the same neighborhoods that are ravaged by crime. So you're going to get people not everybody lives in a crime-ridden area is a bad person. I'll be the first to tell you that. In fact, even in the worst crime-ridden neighborhoods in the city of New York, the majority of the people are honest and they're hardworking. So what this really is, is an attempt to make the department more reflective of the population demographic of New York City. It's trying to make it more of a minority job and it's becoming that more and more every day. Now, that's all fine and good if you can get quality minority candidates. But from everything we're seeing, we're not getting quality minority candidates. And in fact, the more you restrict the area where people can live, and the more you restrict the area where you recruit from and where the the, uh, tests are given, the more you're going to restrict the pool from which you are drawing and recruiting new applicants to replace the ones who are leaving. Years ago, the New York City Police Department test used to be given not only in the city of New York, but throughout the state of New York. So people could take it from all over the state. So you had the whole population of the state of New York as a recruitment base, rather than just the five boroughs of the city of New York. Now, if you succeed... In getting um, this residency requirement through, there are many cops who may have grown up in the Bronx or other places who currently live in Rockland or Orange County or Nassau or Suffolk or Westchester or Putnam that are more than happy to take the test and continue to live there and work in the city of New York, but they're not taking that test. And taking that job, if it knows it means they have to leave that suburban lifestyle, which they want for their families, and move into the confines of the city of New York. So all you're going to do is reduce the quality of the personnel further and reduce the overall efficacy of the city of New York, New York's police department. Now, to her credit, Commissioner... T. Chant Sewell is not down with the mayor's pro- uh, policy. She said, whereas the mayor says police officers should come from the communities that they're policing in, particularly in a place like New York, well, that's not true either because it was always against regulations, as I understand it, from friends of mine who were in the police department, that you could not live within the confines of the precinct in which you were assigned. So as long as that's the case, why do you care to have cops live in the city of New York? You're not letting a cop live in midtown Manhattan if he's assigned there. So if he lives in Queens, why does the Queens cop, the cop who lives in Queens, why does he have any more of a vested interest in making sure the neighborhood in Manhattan that he works in is any better than somebody who lives in Westchester and comes in and makes his living working as a cop in that precinct in Manhattan. Neither of these cops live within the confines of that precinct. One lives in Queens, and one lives in Westchester. Tell me how you make the argument that the Queens resident uh, is going to be more motivated to do a great job in Manhattan. It's not going to improve his quality of life back in his neighborhood in Queens. Now, if he lived in the precinct in which he worked, he might work harder, but that has a host of other problems that's associated with it. So this is a pipe dream. It's a canard. It's a red herring. It's something that makes no sense at all. But the commissioner has a different take. She herself does not live in the city. Now, there was a time when any commissioner in the city of New York, had to live within the city. And most of them lived in areas very close to the suburban borders that are allowed for people who can live outside the city. They lived in areas in the Bronx right near Pelham. They lived in Riverdale section of the Bronx, which is a very affluent section. And many of them just maintain residences there for legal requirements and actually live someplace else. But Commissioner Secant, Um, Am I pronouncing her name correctly? No, Keychance Sewell. Sewell is her last name. Um, She was from the Nassau County Police Department before she took the job here in the city of New York. And she bought a home in the town of Valley Stream on Long Island about 16 years ago. And it's right near the Nassau County border of Queens, six, six or seven blocks into Nassau County from Queens. And she has said, according to this article in the Daily News, that she would move into the city if City Hall ended the de Blasio era executive order that paused the requirement that various city commissioners live somewhere in the five boroughs. But she also admits, despite the fact that I don't live in the city of New York, I don't get to spend much time at home. The demands of the job. She says, I think I live here in New York City more than I live anywhere else. The job demands it. Now, the NYPD officers have not been required to live in the city since the 60s. Last year, about 48% of them lived in the city. The other 52% live in Long Island, Westchester, Putnam, or Rockland counties. So Mayor Adams doesn't even have that stat right. He thinks 30-some-odd percent are living outside the city. The fact is, 52% are living outside the city. And while we're at it, Far from requiring the cops to live back in the city of New York, we should consider expanding the areas in which they can live. Because think about this: A cop can live anywhere on Long Island, and most of those cops that live on Long Island would be assigned to Queen's or Brooklyn commands, because they're closer for commuting. We wouldn't want to send a cop who lives on Long Island all the way to Staten Island. It's too much of a commute, and you only would do that if you guess if you were punishing him and you were dragging them. But um, theoretically, a cop could live in Montauk Point. There's no law against it because that's Suffolk County. Do you know what kind of commute you'd be talking about on that lonely road coming in from Long Island, that one-lane highway until you get past Riverhead where the island is wide, and even then you have to deal with the LIE? It's ridiculous. But yet a cop cannot live... In Putnam County, which is the next county north of the Bronx on the Bronx side of the river, not the other side of the Hudson River where Rockland and Orange County are. But on this side of the river, you have the Bronx, Westchester, and Putnam County. Putnam's a very small county. And directly above it is Dutchess County. Now, the lower areas of Dutchess County and mid Dutchess are far more accessible in terms of commuting distance to the city of New York. than the eastern reaches of Long Island. And if the city was really serious about retaining cops who are leaving the NYPD in droves for either retirement or greener pastures that pay better in other suburbs, they would allow these cops to access a suburban lifestyle they could afford by allowing them to live in Lower Dutchess County. Because the counties of Westchester and Putnam have become too populated and real estate is no longer as reasonable as it used to be. But there still may be some reasonable real estate to be had in Lower Duchess. And if cops knew they could live in Lower Dutchess, many of them would build their life for their families there and stay in the employment of the NYPD. Otherwise, they're leaving. So all of this nonsense is just that. It's nonsense. Mayor Adams doesn't have the stats right. He doesn't analyze the situation correctly. He doesn't understand the fallout. He doesn't understand any of this. At least Commissioner uh, Keechant understands that cops don't have to live in the city of New York in order to do a good job there and feel like they're a partner with the community. So kudos to you, um, Commissioner Sewell, Keechant Sewell. Uh, for having the perception to realize that the residency requirement is pure stupidity. I would like it, however, if you put the brakes on this uh, standards uh, bureau, it's ridiculous. This is not the time to try and enforce these things, these petty violations on an already deeply demoralized police department. So please rethink that. Now, before we go just one topic I wanted to cover uh, quickly. We're going to dig deeper in this in a subsequent episode in the coming days, probably either the very early part of next week. I'm sure by now you're all aware of the financial problems that have befallen some of the banks in this country. The first one to get the hit was the Silicon Valley Bank. And then there was... Uh, additional problems beyond the problem that SVB had. Uh, SPD, Silicon Valley Bank, was a bank that had a lot of money from startup companies and um, communist China, and it was ripe for this sort of problem. The other bank that uh, came under scrutiny that suffered was the San Francisco-based First Republic. Now, 11 of the biggest banks around the country and the world on Thursday said they would come up with a combined $30 billion to show their confidence in the banks in general, in that bank, uh, First, First Republic, and other banks in general. Uh, and that's, that's good, but even after the influx of cash, the market is still worrying and it's still falling. Now, here's what I'm really concerned about. Uh, I don't like what the... Federal Reserve is planning on doing with the Silicon Valley Bank. Now, the Silicon Valley Bank had a great deal of money that was uninsured. See, people always want to put money in banks. They think, oh, it's safe. It's FDIC insured. Well, not really. Individual accounts are only FDIC insured up to $250,000. Anything beyond that, you're not insured. So if you have $2.5 million in a bank, and the bank goes under. The only thing you get from the federal government is $250,000. The rest, you take the loss. Unless you were smart enough to make 10 separate bank accounts at $250,000 each. But if you have it all in one account, it's not going to work. And for all I know, there may be banking regulations obscure, perhaps, that I'm not aware of. that doesn't allow you to have 10 accounts with that kind of money because they might say you're trying to circumvent the law or something. I don't know. But where well, there's a will, there's a way. Now, the Silicon Valley Bank had an estimated $13.9 billion in uninsured or uncovered foreign deposits. In a March statement, March 11th, Silicon Valley Bank, a joint venture with the state-owned Shanghai Pudon Development Bank, confirmed that its operations were sound. Well, obviously not, because they went belly up a couple days later. Andon Health, a medical device manufacturer, confirmed in a filing to the Shenzhen Stock Exchange that all of its deposits at SVP can be used in full and have not suffered any losses. Beijing, one of the largest drug companies in China, announced that it had $175 million in uninsured cash deposits in SVP. Now, look at the players that are involved here that have a great deal of capital that they're all going to lose. What are we supposed to do about that? Well, considering that many of these Chinese companies are actually in bed with the Chinese government and in many effect are shadow-owned by the Chinese government, and considering that the Chinese are an adversary of ours and are looking to undermine us at every turn, they're looking to steal our technology at every chance they get, and are generally bent on world domination, We shouldn't give a hoot in hell that they put all their eggs in one basket and got their clock cleaned. We should let them take the loss. But that's not what Janet Yellen is planning on doing, the Treasury Secretary. There's a rescue package. And the rescue package, part of these extraordinary efforts and measures that the government has taken to help shield uninsured and insured depositors at the Silicon Valley Bank, is going to protect not only domestic depositors, but foreign clients as well. And this package is going to be funded in part through special assessments levied on U.S. banks to recoup these losses and make customers whole. Now, what do you think the U.S. banks are going to do when they get these levies and assessments? You think they're just going to say, Well, I guess we won't make as much money today, Kins. We'll just have to take it on the chin. They're going to pass it on to you with fees, with requirements for higher minimum amounts in a deposit on, in a bank account before you don't get charged a monthly maintenance fee. Transfers will cost more. The price of checks will go up. Everything will go up. They'll find a way to get the money back. At the end of the day, The American American taxpayer under these plans are going to be responsible for, in part, bailing out the Chinese government. And why the hell should we do that? So much so that Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma, during a finance committee uh, just yesterday, said, will my banks in Oklahoma pay a special assessment to be able to make Chinese investors whole from Silicon Valley Bank? and yellen noted that uninsured depositors would be made whole at svb adding i suppose that could include foreign depositors and she went on to say i don't believe there's any legal basis to discriminate among uninsured really really secretary treasury yellen Now we're discriminating because we don't want to bail out enemies of ours who foolishly put money into our banks in excess of that which we insure. And we have to treat an enemy of the United States the same way we're going to treat American citizens who've invested in SVB Bank or American companies that are trying to employ American workers and invested in SVB Bank. This is all you need to know about the mentality Of the people that are running the financial sector of this country from the government perspective. They've got their head up their rear end where the sun doesn't shine. And I don't know if all the king's horses and all the king's men could pull it back out again. But somebody better get their head out of their rear end and right this ship. And one thing is certain. Nobody in Washington is up to the task from the administration. We need a new sheriff in town. So 24, 2024 is getting to look better and better. For the Jamie Durie Show, I'm Jamie Durie. Happy Patty's Day.